Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Since it's the Chinese New Year, I, I thought we'd spend some time talking a little bit about China. Uh, what's China's latest problem, Jim? Population. They're running out of workers. Uh, this is uh, this is already a problem for their their foreign trade, as it were, because uh, I think 20 years ago uh, their wages were about one thirty fifth of what they were in the United States. Now they're one fifth. Uh, they've basically had to bid up the, <laughs> the wages on the few remaining workers, and it's it's a uh, it's it's not a solution. Uh, short term it is, but already a lot of their um, uh, their foreign production in China uh, is moving to other uh, countries, uh, quite often other East Asian countries, not South Korea, <laughs> but Vietnam and others, Indonesia, what have you. Uh, they have uh, they, they don't have any any real solution for this problem. They try to import workers, foreign workers, which, uh, as many people of uh, study East Asia know, is not popular. Even the Japanese, <laughs> who are facing extinction, as it were, because of their declining their negative population uh, growth, uh, and South Korea, which is uh, approaching uh, Japanese you know levels of uh, Low births, while China's catching up. We pointed this out in earlier years, earlier updates, that this is the uh, basically the uh, the curse of affluence. It's an ancient curse, really. It goes. You can trace it back to the the Romans who kept good records. Uh, once a uh, once a uh, people get affluent, uh, the women decide, well, I don't have to have a bunch. I don't have to have a bunch of children anymore, and they don't. Uh, as the English nobility uh, coined the phrase. <laughs> Uh, during the, I think, the Renaissance, uh, that one heir, one spare, and then let's party, girls, uh, which is what they did because their husbands were more than happy to play with their girlfriends and what have you. Uh, the English were very liberal on uh, on recognizing bastards. Uh, you know, they could they they couldn't necessarily adopt them, but they could basically put them to work for the family business. But <clears throat> that caused critical problems for the uh, uh, British uh, aristocracy. In that, if there were no male heirs, uh, the line went extinct. Uh, a lot of talented bastards running around, and some of them founded new royal house, uh, you know, uh, aristocratic houses on their own merits. <coughs> but it was it really wasn't a solution for the uh, traditional democracy. I think Al Nofi uh, dug that up uh, when we were researching the uh, uh, a uh, medieval version of the the hundred hundred years war um, that. It wasn't the wars that decimated, that more than decimated the English aristocracy. It was lack of uh, heirs, lack of uh, lack of children, as it were. The Chinese are facing the same problem. Uh, <coughs> they they can't encourage more births because the increasingly uh, 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 affluent population. They have a middle class by their own standards of over 300 million. I think it's probably close to 400 million now. And these couples. Uh, are raising their children uh, to a higher standard of education and you know treatment and what have you, um, and they really don't want more than one or two. 
Japanese women are flat out refusing because basically Japanese mothers get treated like, you know, dirt. Um, and uh, the uh, the Japanese have not, Japanese men have not wised up to that yet. Um, uh, so the, the basically the Japanese mothers are crossing their legs or whatever, and they're just not having, uh, you know, enough children to sustain the population. But it's basically a problem in all affluent societies. The United States is one uh, one exception to that because we we allow more immigration. We're not. I mean, we are a nation of immigrants. Uh, and one of the big political issues in the United States is whether or not the government should have some control over that or whether people should feel free to encourage breaking laws and allowing illegal immigrants in. Um, other countries like Australia facing that problem, who are basically open to immigration, they simply set standards and enforce them. Uh, they basically lock up in prisons you know, illegal migrants to discourage them, and it does to a certain extent. Um, people complain, but the Australians say, no, we have laws and we enforce them. Uh, and so their population growth has stabilized and incre- actually increased a bit. Um, and they get the people they want and they need. Basically, you have to uh, you have to pass not only, you know, moral tests, as it were, you can't they don't allow uh, known criminals in. Uh, but if you, you have an easier time getting in, if you have skills and if you have a, basically a clean record, you know, you're going to be law abiding citizens of Australia. Canada does the same thing. Um and like I say, that's a big, that's that's a major issue in United States politics. But the fact remains that in countries that discourage uh, adopting foreign foreigners as members of their own society, are caught in a major problem. Uh, Italy, for example, has I think the lowest, uh, you know, birth rate in the in in the European Union, and they are starting to fade away. Now, what that now they they do <laughs> they do tolerate a lot of illegal migrants, but these don't help their economic problems or their their social, you know, the civic society problems. Uh, and that's seen throughout Europe. That's uh, became a big issue in Germany and a lot of European countries with this uh, this basically open admission to uh, Middle Eastern, you know, uh, Muslims uh, into the country. And uh, while some of these uh, migrants have proven, you know, useful members of society, uh, many of them have not. Uh, and this is a problem that is slowly changing in Europe, where I think Netherlands was took the lead in this in telling new migrants, if you don't adapt, you're out. In other words, you got to learn Dutch, which is not easy. I tried once. Um, and uh, you've got to basically have, uh, 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 ex- you know, sh- demonstrate a knowledge of our laws and our culture. They give a test, which we technically do, but not as fervently as we used to. Um and uh, then people are, are welcome to come in. Uh, Netherlands is one of the few countries in Europe, like Britain, uh, that has encouraged uh, migration. France does to a certain extent, but again, they're loath to uh, impose standards and enforce them, although that's changing. Uh, in fact, the French are criticizing <laughs> the political bickering in the United States over this and other issues uh, because they say it's counterproductive. Um, but that's the change, the changes that are waving over all the industrialized countries uh, that are seeking a solution to their their population problems uh, and doing it in a uh, in a mutually beneficial way, beneficial to the immigrants and beneficial to their society as a whole. China 
is not even dealing with that. They are starting to import foreign workers, which they tend to abuse. Um, they don't allow many of them in. Uh, they have a lot of problems with internal migrants. Uh, there's been this huge uh, uh, migration of rural populations to the urban areas where there are jobs from the rural areas where there are not. Um, and China punishes them. I mean, it exploits them as workers and what have you. It's very much like the, the illegal, illegal migrants in the United States. Uh, they can't get benefits. In fact, it's worse in China. Uh, if you're not a registered, uh, you know, uh, a citizen of a, of a urban area, uh, your children can't get higher education. They often can't get any education at all. You can't get any of the benefits that their their work and their taxes are paying for. And this is a very contentious issue in China, which the Chinese have not really confronted yet. So they have a big problem with uh, migration and population growth. Uh, and that one-child policy, which did uh, put a halt to the rampant overpopulation they were facing. That's why they, they basically instituted it and enforced it, you know, uh, vigorously, as it were. Um, they uh, they basically are not paying for it now, and they they basically created a time bomb that they can't defuse. It's slowly going off. The working age population peaked in 2011. And it's declining precipitously. In fact, they now they one thing they will admit is their social welfare fund. They don't pay a lot in old age benefits, but they basically keep you from starving to death and not much else. Uh, that's going to run out of money in 2035 by current calculations. Uh, but their biggest problem is they're simply running out of workers, uh, and they have no real solution to that. And if they if it continues as it's going. That's going to be what's really going to bring them down. Uh, they believe that they're going to become the largest economy in the world, but that's going to be brought short by the fact that they have nobody to produce the goods to make that happen. Well, they get, Jim, they get not just say in, in terms of, uh, of output, but output at the uh, labor cost that gave them their uh, uh, initial the uh, ability to surge their economy i say surge it expanded over the last oh, over the last 40 years that's been one of the effect of uh, aging I'll, I'll point out too dan that one child policy was largely enforced on han chinese now understand that the han are the world's largest ethnic group and the, how many han are there You'll see a billion. It's probably 900, 950 million uh, there by well, – it could well be a billion. Uh, and you'd say, well, gee, uh, that's a lot of people, huge ethnic group. Remember, China's got about, what, 1.35 billion people, Jim? Is that right? It's almost 1.4 now, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're, we're, in the, we're, we're in the zone on it. So that it's got 400 million minorities. Uh now, what they've got with the Uyghurs, and I'll just talk about them just for a, uh, for a second. <clears throat> they've got a huge minority problem on that, even though they're only about 30 or 40 million Uyghurs, in part because they have decided that they're going to, uh, <clears throat> you want to call it sinicization, you know, uh, or Hanicization is prob uh, probably a better term, is that they're settling Han uh, in the Xinjiang uh, province, which... Uh, the Uyghurs prefer to call East Turkestan is because yeah. they're they're Turkic uh, they're they're a Turkic uh, people, but some of these yeah, Jim's talking about the declining population, but they've got other demographic problems, population problem, and that is uh, they really don't integrate 
they're minorities. Uh, they, there is a uh, racial component to uh, Xi Jinping's uh, national state, and in my opinion, I'm not the only one with uh, with that opinion. In, in some ways, it's a, a classic uh, Han uh, uh, Im- imperialism, and not simply outside the borders of contemporary China, but uh, in, internally, internally as well. Now that compounds the problem because Jim says, "Well, we need workers," and they have had some uh, the articles I read about imported workers really were in northern China, not necessarily imported, but there were Mongolians coming into uh, uh, from Mongolia into inner Mongolia, which is a Chinese uh, Chinese province. And then the Chinese uh, look at this and say, well, we have another ethnic problem. Oh, gee, at the uh, height of the Chinese empire, uh, outer Mongolia was also part of uh, the Chinese empire. Well, so was uh, Eastern Siberia for that, uh, for that matter. That gets them into a, a territorial, huge territorial dispute with, uh, uh, with Russia. Uh, that's not so much, uh, again, on, on outright number of people, but uh, minority uh, issues, minority demographics uh, within China. Now, Jim lays out the, the, the worker shortage, and I said, look, it's, you know, now here's the economic impact. He mentioned one of them, aging society. They've got old age pension costs and uh, medical costs. Both, uh, both rising. But the other thing is, is that, that the cheap uh, production at, to a good enough level, that's uh, a way to describe uh, where China made its uh, money as uh, a, an exporter. Coming up, Jim writes a, a lot about this when he writes a, and, uh, uh, about weapons on it. We've seen that the Chinese, they can make good weapons, but they've got a problem with very high quality weapons, and they're aware they're they're aware of it. Uh, I didn't want to get off on a sidebar there from the way we are approaching China's problems, but the what you've got too with this wealthier and this 400 million middle class too are are aspirations. We saw that happen in the late 80s with Tiananmen Square, uh, a demand for liberal in the classic sense, liberalization of, of uh, speech laws, uh, press laws. If we're going to have a liberalized economy, again, in the classic British sense, uh, free market, free enterprise, which is what Deng Xiaoping was permitting with his opening and reform uh, movement, uh, then why can't we have the other elements that go with that and actually encourage, spur it, uh, advance it? Now you're beginning to talk about uh, Western-style liberal democracies. And Deng Xiaoping in 89 in Tiananmen Square said, no, we're not going to make that mistake. that's the mistake that happened in Hungary and Eastern Europe, or was happening. You could see it. You could see it happening. We're still going to have the four cardinal principles, which means the 
parties in charge, and it's uh, an authoritarian free enterprise system. Well, that's 1989 and 1990. Now, with all of these, and it's, 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 it's not just driven by a desire to uh, create a new Chinese empire. All of these fissures within China have led to now a, essentially a one-man totalitarian regime with a big smile on it, and that's uh, Xi Jinping, even though his immediate uh, predecessor was doing the same kind of uh, regime building and power building uh, around the uh, uh, chief executive slot uh, within China. It's the belief by the party is they need that kind of control in order to keep their grip on the country with all of these issues that uh, are in many ways unanswerable un 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 uh, since the people are not uh, reproducing at a rate to keep the uh, keep the keep the economy growing, and you're also starting to see economic decline. You also see, I think, the uh, Communist Chinese Party Wuhan COVID-19 virus actually hurt China a great deal. Uh, they it's hurt them internationally when they're being caught lying, despite what the 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 World Health Organization's latest uh, help in, 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 cover, in covering it up. But we really don't know how many people got sick. We really don't know how many people are still sick. And we do know, because enough of this got out in, uh, during 2020 from the Hubei province, uh, where the city of Wuhan is, is that uh, uh, they felt absolutely sold out by the Beijing government. Now, this leads on to another issue. I'm sure Jim will want to talk about it, where there is still provincialism. And part of the provincialism, Jim talk, uh, talked about it, is, is that where you grow up, you're a registered resident but if you go to the city from uh, poor, uh, you know, poor uh, interior or uh, western China and go to an e eastern city, as Jim was describing, uh, you don't have permanent residency there. And you're supposed to go back to your home village uh, at least once a year to, to uh, check in because that's where you're from. This is a, another internal problem for the regime because, as Jim said, uh, the workers who from the West go to the Eastern cities uh, resent it. And uh, the way so the Chinese Communist Party's answer is to crack down and create the uh, surveillance society. So we might talk about that too. That's another big problem within China. What Austin mentions there is the social rating uh, that's going on in China, right? Yeah, their social credit score, they call it. It is already being enforced in some areas. It was, it was started really in the, in the, uh, in the, in the northwest, uh, Zhejiang province, where the, uh, uh, where the Turco, Turkish uh, population is. Where the Uyghurs uh, actually, are. Where the Uyghurs, where the Uyghurs are. are. Yeah. Uh, because it was a means of control. And it proved so effective that they started rolling it out in many other areas, especially the um, 
Uh, as Austin points out, the, uh, the the more prosperous areas in the in the east and uh, southeast, um, and the uh, those provinces down there welcome it because it allows them to control their alien population. Name and most of those are basically Chinese from uh, from the western provinces. Um, and uh, as Austin points out, it creates big resentment. Now there was the resentful immigrants in China are mostly Chinese. There's something like 250 million of them. Uh, so they, they have an enormous problem with that. But the biggest thing is the time bomb. In fact, their latest data, which I, I, I found after I did the, uh, the update yesterday, was that by 2050, their demogra- demographers uh, predict that there'll be one worker for every uh, retired Chinese, elderly Chinese living on, you know, the, the skimpy, skimpy benefits from the, uh, by then, bankrupt. So they're going to have to increase taxes. Uh, they don't do the income taxes so much as indirect taxes, which have the same impact. It lowers the, uh, you know, the uh, disposable income and, and standard of living uh, for the newly affluent Chinese. So that's going to cause them. So, a yeah, lot so of they're problems. they're following the Japanese model there. Exactly. Uh, one of the uh, reasons, one of the things that people don't realize about Japan's interest in robotics is not for manufacturing, but actually for healthcare. Indeed, take care of the elderly, and that. that they they see that as a, a major export item because uh, many other Western countries, affluent countries in the same situation, especially in Europe, uh, are having the same problems. But uh, that means they have to buy robots <laughs> to, to attend the elderly, uh, and they still have to feed them. Now, something that came out of the from from China inside China, the, some of the uh, the uh, the chatter, as it were, uh, during the the head of the 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 Wuhan virus uh, was that they were deliberately uh, killing elder, the elderly, even if they weren't dead, they basically shove them into the body bags anyway. Now, I, I don't know if that was a pickerful or actually happened, but the, as, as Austin points out, the Wuhan Chinese are very resentful of the way they were treated by the central government, uh, because basically having your 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 parents murdered, you know, by the state is a no-no, even in China, especially in China. Uh, they, one of the problems with the, the growth of the elderly population as a, as a segment of the population was that the newly affluent Chinese uh, broke the mold of, as it were, of the multi-generational household. And many of the new households being formed were just like in the West, just a husband and wife and, and children. Of course, it meant only one child. And those children were spoiled rotten, a problem that the Chinese are now, you know, openly dealing with because it shows up in the military. We get a lot of these entitled kids. Figure, hey, I'll join the military. You're desperate for educated, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, new uh, officers and troops. Uh, and the Chinese, the old school Chinese uh, uh, military, find these guys very difficult to deal with. Uh, the problem is they're going to have an enormous shortage of military people because it's still the case, even though they've raised income and fringe benefits for the military, especially the career military, while they're, they're basically all career military, they have conscription, but it really isn't enforced. It doesn't have to be. And they, they prefer, the military prefers to recruit the people it needs, not the people forced it upon them by a conscription system. And they want a lot of these people to become careerists, especially the highly trained specialists pilots, for example, which cost, uh, even in China, cost over a million dollars to train with all the training costs, you know, the aircraft and what have you, because they're trying to create a modern air force with Western-style aircraft and Western-style pilots. Now, they're aggressively 
following that. And they are turning out a lot of much more competent pilots, but it's expensive. And a lot of these guys are basically facing the same temptations as found in the West, where they see that the growing commercial airlines are desperate for pilots. And they're more than happy to grab the, uh, the military pilots if they can get away with it. Now, the Chinese, again, as was tried in the United States and other countries, tries to lock these pilots into long-term contracts if they want to become pilots. But that only, that only works up to a, a point because after a while, the pilots will wheel and deal and do what they can. And in China, it's much easier to just pay a bribe uh, to get out, get your discharge papers, and go get a much more affluent and uh, 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 a job with the commercial airlines where the living is easier, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they're going to they're going to face an enormous shortage of working age or military age people, uh, and they're going to have a hard time staffing the military. Now that's one reason why they started 20 years ago to shrink the military. 20 years ago it was like about three million. Now it's approaching you know a million, and they feel that they can only support as many ch- competent Chinese as they can basically find, and that's becoming a a, a shrinking pool. Uh, and uh, the the military basically can't compete. So their visions of having a uh, – they're, they're building more ships. They just launched, I think, their fourth or fifth aircraft carrier, um, and, and, and I think the latest China update gives you the numbers on how rapidly they're outstripping the United States, which, which is long recognized. The, the U.S. Navy's pointed it out that they're facing problems with Congress and with, well, they don't say it as loudly, but they point out the, uh, the shoddy shipbuilding. Um, same thing with aircraft building. I think the Air Force recently officially declared the new tanker, the KC-46, a turkey. Uh, they had a lot of problems with that. They still do. That's a, another Boeing product like the uh, 737 MAX which is, I believe is going to be renamed or has already been renamed uh, now that it's technically uh, capable of flying again. Um, and uh, the United States has a problem with that, especially the Navy. I mean, Al knows a lot more about that. He's the naval expert. Uh, but we we definitely can't build them as quickly as China. And they're building to our standards, you know, not not less, you know, stringent standards of the old uh, Russian style, you know, ships. Uh, they're basically cloning uh, our, our, uh, our, our our latest carrier, our latest cruiser, I mean destroyers, um, and they're basically uh, slowly catching up on nuclear submarine technology, still a ways behind us, uh, but they keep building new mini classes, as it were, or even one class has uh, vast differences between the different, you know, marks, blocks, as it were, which we also do, but in their case, you know, the... Uh, uh, the different models, the improved models in a, in a single class look different, uh, ra- you know, radically different and, and, and radically different in performance compared to the, uh, the you know, the incremental uh, improvements inside the Virginia class SSNs. So they are aware that they have a problem, but they're trying to close the gap. But the one thing they can't close, you know, honest, is people. They need crews to man these ships. And the Navy's already running into that problem. Uh, they're finding that in many cases they can't put new ships to sea, at least not on a regular basis, because they can't man them. Uh, and this is only going to get worse, not better. Now, the United States found out during the, uh, the the war on terrorism, as it were, when it reached its peak, I think, in 2008, that you know we just had to offer more generous incentives uh, for citizenship for migrants 
um, and uh, they would take it. Some of them would become, you know, uh, you know, career professionals. Others would simply, you know, do a good job for five years and they become a citizen and they get out. But that's fine if you have that available. The Chinese don't have anything like that available. Maybe they'll do it. You'll see them doing it with the uh, uh, the people, families that are moving into the uh, illegally, you know, uh, residing in the uh, eastern cities, uh, provinces that China will say, okay, you serve in the military and we will register your family where they are currently living and working. And that'll probably uh, prove unpopular with the the eastern provinces, but very popular with the new recruits. So they may adopt as much as they can within their 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 cultural you know norms a lot of the uh, the, the solutions. But the one thing they cannot get around is the fact that their declining birth rate, declining working age population, is not going to reach its peak uh, until about twenty or twenty or thirty years, and that's when they expect to achieve economic and military dominance, you know, as a superpower, and they're liable to be caught short by the fact that there are enough Chinese to, to sustain that, and that's something they have no solution for. Uh, Dan, there's a term, and I, I, had, to, I had to cheat on it. Uh, Jim and I mostly just do this totally off the top of our heads, but I went and looked in uh, cocktails from hell to find that term for the population that's uh, from the central and, and western China that's working uh, away from home in eastern China, and they refer to it as the floating population. <laughs> I, I don't know why I couldn't remember that, Jim, but I, you know, Lui Dong Renku, I, I, please don't jump me, please, for mispronouncing the uh, 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 Chinese for it, but floating population. And it's it, it, there's a, another complication in there. Jim sort of sort of touched on it. It's yeah, there are about 100, 150 million of these floaters that are employed, but there's about another 100 million. And huge amounts of people were up to over 200 million, 250 or so, about 100 million that are moving back and forth, uh, both in, in, in when factories are open or they close. And there have been some effects. Some of it has to do uh, now it was exacerbated by uh, the, the uh, uh, pandemic, but also the uh, U.S. action to uh, decouple its uh, U.S. economy from uh, China, and part of it is because of the quote-unquote uh, problems of strategic dependence on a t- uh, authoritarian slash becoming totalitarian uh, state that you know, Jim was talking about <clears throat> their improvements with their uh, uh, their Navy. We can still debate their uh, their aircraft. Air- Aircraft on that, uh, and they're they're smart weapons. They haven't uh, they haven't used them as uh, Jim is always saying. Its problem is is that you you don't know how smart they are and how capable they are until they actually uh, 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 get used. But the, the point I, point I was going to make is is that their uh, they dependence on on China's economy because they were building just just good enough and that's uh when i'll back that up it's not just a a quality issue but dependence on on a uh, capricious uh dictatorship for 
uh, electronics and pharmaceuticals. And many of these people in the floating population were working in those kind of uh, uh, kind of factories. They're being literally downsized because their straight market to uh, North America is no longer so so straight. So uh, that's another aspect. It's a demographic slash economic uh, uh, problem, but it affects those interior migrant workers. I suppose that's a good way to put it, the floaters. So, Jim, one area I'd like to cover, well, actually, there's two. Uh, I'd like to cover uh, to wrap this up is, one, what's happening on the border with India, and two, what's happening with Taiwan? Uh, India, they they decided that uh, this is perhaps getting a little trickier than they, they expected, and they're pulling back. That doesn't mean they won't come return, uh, but basically the 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 buildup of forces on the uh, the uh, the Tibet border uh, has been you know ended, and the, both sides are pulling back their forces. They started to do it as winter approach because it's cold up there, <laughs> um, and uh, and the Chinese got a big you know uh, you know exposure to that that they and it was worse than they expected. Um, and because uh, a lot of their troops come from southern you know, China, where they're not used to winters, especially the uh, high Himalaya winters, but the Tibetan you know plateau winters, um, and so they decide, all right, let's back up on this. Taiwan is something else. Taiwan, they'd like to get back, but they're unwilling to risk a war to grab it. You got to remember the Chinese, and they they basically say this in their in their their uh, unrestricted you know their open source. Uh, uh, military publications, which is something they use simply to get the issues out there so everybody can be aware and they can basically uh, uh, elicit uh, suggestions and ideas from everybody in the military, even outside the military. They follow the Western uh, response to a lot of these open publications. But they point out that they, they always made a point that they're following Sun Tzu. Uh, you know, uh, philosophy towards warfare, which which even the the West, when they when it became popular, I guess back in the 80s or 90s, uh, Sun Tzu basically preached that uh, you build a large and impressive army so you don't have to use it. Uh, the best victories are won without fighting a battle. Now that's basically been you know a good military strategy for for thousands of years, but the Chinese have basically ensconced in, in, in it in their in their as their primary uh, military strategy. Now they they have good reason to do that because historically, China has not had a force that was capable of winning the first battle, uh, and of course we we addressed that problem after Vietnam. Uh, Ray Macedonian and I wrote a book. Called getting it right, which basically <laughs> detailed how we did it, and the evidence uh, asserted itself in 1990-91 when we uh, when we had we had to uh, liberate Kuwait, and later on during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, where the the enemy could not confront us face on. So you had you know even the IEDs and and the bombings, and we even found solutions to that. So the uh, the Chinese are realizing that. They would have a worse time because they still have a lot of corruption in the military, a lot of falsifying of uh, records and what have you. Um, and uh, they realize that the the Taiwanese are more motivated to uh, basically improve the quality of their much smaller military. And uh, the Taiwanese, basically, the population backs their military and says, look, we will fight. 
you know, to the end, you know, fight them on the beaches, et cetera. Very Churchillian, you know, attitude towards a possible attack by China. So China threatens more and more. They're now trying economic, uh, you know, uh, leverage, uh, which doesn't work as well on the uh, Taiwanese, even though Taiwanese companies have made huge investments in China because they're basically shooting themselves in the foot by doing so. Um, so they have limited, you know, uh, retaliatory, you know, uh, uh, measures available to them. Uh, so they simply keep saying, you know, Taiwan is ours. We will take it if we have to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but really, the chances of them pulling the trigger are, you know, slim to none uh, because they realize that could create more problems than they can handle. For example, a war would shut down their foreign trade, not just exports, but imports. For example, they recently tried to fight a trade war with Australia. The Australian says no. Uh, the Australians took a bit of a beating in some of their exports, like coal, but the, the Australians found that there were plenty of other markets where they could sell their, their coal uh, and their, their coking coal that needed for uh, <coughs> manufacturing steel. The Chinese found that there aren't many other you know, uh, exporters willing to uh, deal with China. The way they treated the Australians plays a role in that because other exporters say, well, look, we don't want to get into a, 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 you know, on the wrong side of China and get treated like the Australians because, A, we might not have the resolve of the Australians, and, B, we might not have the resources of the Australians. I mean, not just the economic resources and the internal grit, but Australia is part of the, you know, the five eyes, you know, the, the, basically the, the former uh, British you know, colonies that are including Britain, <laughs> which have formed together to share intelligence and to basically form a, uh, a, a, a semi-formal military alliance. Uh, but the Chinese also are aware of the fact that they have created a, a, a anti-China alliance in East Asia. And um, we've done the math, for example, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in that respect in strategy page, where we point out when you take the navies of uh, South Korea and Japan in particular – uh, plus uh, the uh, the the naval uh, the portion of the navy that is uh, that is dedicated to uh, the the West Pacific by the United States, uh, China is still far you know outmatched as it were both in, in naval forces and in air forces. Now they're trying to uh, overcome that, but again they have a limitation uh, a major limitation that the, the the their enemies do not have, and that's their lack of soldiers, their lack of personnel. Um, and that's eventually going to reach the point where no matter how many advanced weapons they turn out, assuming they can with that shortage of workers, uh, they simply won't have enough uh, Chinese uh, willing, uh, qualified Chinese willing to man those uh, systems and willing to fight at a, a foreign war, which is anathema to the Chinese. Uh, even as, as we're finding out, it is to the Russians. That's why the Russians are using so many mercenaries, you know, Russian mercenaries and, and, and local mercenaries in Syria uh, to maintain the position there. And the Turks are even doing it in, in Libya. Uh, so the, uh, the, the, the problems that Chinese have militarily, economically, far outweigh their, their, how should I put it, their prospects, what they could theoretically do. And it all comes back to... Uh, they don't have enough Chinese to go around. Dan, I want to make a couple of quick points, though. One of their issues with uh, India, you know, right now they're pulling back on the border with that. But uh, China has become aware that it went too far with India. And, you know, we write about the quad quite a bit, uh, which is uh, Japan, uh, the U.S., 
uh, Australia, uh, and uh, uh, the fourth is uh, India. Uh, and it, it's not an alliance that is an alliance between Australia, Japan, and the U.S., but uh, the uh, adding India to that, uh, India would be a sixth eye, wouldn't it, Jim? Since it goes and, and they are, and they are inching closer to, be, closer to becoming I, I a former part I, of that alliance. I know, I, I, I know that, but they realize now they've got a, you know, they're another huge uh, Asian Asian power that does have uh, the manpower. And for all the problems India's got, India's got some uh, highly uh, uh, capable mili- military units. It, it, We've talked about this a little bit, but the, look at the history of the, uh, of the Indian Army. It's, it's a, it, it took on uh, the, the Germans in, in North Africa, Italy as well, and also fought the Japanese. Uh, and so they've got uh, uh, a real, real depth of experience and not just fighting uh, a local uh, territorial wars. The Indian Army is, is capable of expeditionary operations, which is one reason – it's and it's also the fact it's a British type model uh, army that the United Nations loves to have India as well as Bangladesh and Pakistan. They're, they were both parts of the uh, of India and the old Indian Army as uh, in in peacekeeping uh, forces. Uh, but it, it's that is uh, a I think that's a cause for <clears throat> stability on the Indian front at, a, at the strategic level, which is that China has got to look. And if we really threaten them, now they're going to uh, – India is going to be in an alliance with, uh, gee, Japan, the U.S., uh, and Australia. Now, the other thing on Taiwan, Jim said that they've gone to you know, economic, uh, economic threats. They're using some of the same techniques they've used on the Philippines and Vietnam – in the South China Sea on Taiwan. I call attention to a, a couple of good reports in the last two months about their dredging operations oh, sand, um, the sand around Matsu. Uh, listen, you know, Komoi and Matsu, everybody forgets that those were also nationalist Kuomintang held islands. I've been to Komoi. I was there in, when was it, 2002, I think, and uh, it was kind of fun you know, looking at through the bunkers just uh, across less than a mile away. There was a Chinese mainland, and all that were out there were people in a couple of rowboats fishing. I mean, it's it's just, it was extremely peaceful, and it was like, wait a minute, uh, there really is peace here. Well, I'll Look what happens when China decides to uh, take the mask off, which they have. Now they could <clears throat> they could take Kamoi in about ten minutes. Uh, that just swamp that Matsu's a little harder because it's farther away. So what they're doing now is just outside the legal limits. They have sand dredges going around, and they tear up all the undersea communications cables and have really disturbed uh, fishing, and fishing is one of the primary uh, businesses in those uh, in those islands. And Taiwan protests it, and Taiwan has finally gone out and started bringing in some of these dredges, forcing them to disgorge their sand, and then uh, China uh, has, uh, within the last 10 days, I read, has 
uh, I'm talking about the Chinese government uh, has uh, rethought this somewhat, but it was still disruptive. It cost uh, uh, Taiwan uh, uh, money, and it it, it was uh, uh, it really was an attack using uh, dredges, which and barges, which is what. China conducted over a 20-year period in the South China Sea to build all those fake islands and then claim they're as Chinese as, uh, as Shanghai, and, and then they went and put uh, airfields on them. That, that was using concrete dredges and, and construction barges to, uh, for territorial expansion. As Jim said, though, in the case of Taiwan, actually going after Taiwan, they're going to have to fight the uh, Republic of China Army. And uh, it's high tech. They have uh, are modernizing. I don't know if the Biden administration is going to continue what the Trump administration did, but opening uh, to uh, Taiwan access to uh, increasingly uh, modern and sophisticated weapons. But they've gone their own uh, on their own on this, and Jim is more on top of this than I am, being able to build their own indigenous uh, AIP subs, as I as I understand it. And those are those are you know, air and uh, uh, independent propulsion uh, uh, submarines are an ideal weapon for stopping, as well as sea mines, uh, for stopping an invasion coming from the mainland to try to cross the 110 miles to get into to the island of Taiwan, which I, having been there, I will tell you, it's one bunker after another. It's rather amazing. Yeah, one of those the, islands is two kilometers from the Chinese coastline. I think that's the one you referred to. You can well, see what's going on over there. That's Kamoi. That's what I said. It was about a mile. Yeah. 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 About, I'd say it was a click and a half. Is, you yeah. Know. yeah. And the other ones are about 18 kilometers out. And yeah. those are the ones that are being threatened with the sand barges because right. there, are, there, are, there, are, there are sand reefs, as it were, that, uh, that are important to the, as you pointed out, to the local economy. And the Chinese were simply destroying those, and that could not go unanswered. But the other problem is that the Chinese have basically galvanized. Uh, their former dependencies, as it were, like Vietnam, uh, to join this alliance. And the uh, the Vietnamese have been buying submarines and other equipment from Russia. Uh, and the Japanese quietly changed their, uh, their, their, their constitution, or their laws anyway, to allow export of weapons. And they are now selling, you know, warships, defensive warships. And they could sell defensive submarines. Now, selling submarines to Taiwan... You know, Japanese submarines uh, might be, you know, might in, in elicit more of a response from China than than the Japanese are willing to deal with. But the the demonization, as it were, of China, Japan in China, which is justified to a large extent. I mean, there's a lot of resentment among the, the former uh, uh, East Asian members of the uh, Japanese uh, East Asian co-prosperity sphere, which was a, a polite way of saying we're going to conquer you and you're going to do what we're say, we say. Uh, that has not been forgotten. You know, the savage treatment uh, inflicted upon the, the East Asians and the Indonesians by the, the Japanese. But uh, in times of, uh, you know, desperate in desperate times, uh, you know, a lot of that's relaxed. Uh, now, Taiwan hasn't approached Japan about buying submarines or any other advanced weapons, but the Japanese are open to it. The South Koreans are already doing it. Uh, they're including exporting, you know, submarines and, and modern warships. Uh, uh, the Philippines just got their second uh, uh, frigate, 
from uh, uh, from South Korea, um, and they are and they are willing to uh, buy more because they're basically Western standard, you know, weapons, and they're available from a local, you know, source. Um, and uh, the Japanese are willing to get into that because you know it's in their own self-interest. One one other point, Mike, uh, to Dan about uh, an attack on Taiwan. Uh, it, 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 the two American uh, carrier battle groups stationed east of Taiwan and, and off the coast, back, backing it up, also provides a, I'm getting the military side of this great deal of deterrence. But in an actual conflict, tons of firepower. Not to say. That's all you would see. You'd have the Air Force coming in from Guam and uh, 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 Japan uh, as well to uh, help uh, the uh, Taiwanese Republic of China uh, defend itself. But South Korea, Japan, U.S., Australia, and to some, I would say, add Singapore to that as well. We, we've naval and air wise, you, it's almost seamless in uh, sensor and then targeting. That's something that uh, U.S. has been working on really for for uh, 50 years, really, with uh, with uh, Australia and Japan and, and South Korea as well. And you've got absolutely first-rate air forces, and despite our problems with the littoral combat ship, uh, which and the KC-46, as Jim brought up, we've produced some absolutely excellent weapons. We have great sailors and fabulous pilots, and it's it, it, the Chinese. Are, they're tested too. Uh, in a case of the United States and Australia, and to some degree South Korea, uh, <clears throat> uh, the, the Chinese would have to confront that, and I think that uh, Jim says that's one reason they, they the uh, communist Chinese government really doesn't want to uh, try Taiwan. Well, we've run out of time, so uh, uh, we'll conclude there. It looks like uh, we'll be, as always. I know we have one listener on. YouTube that complains that it's China, 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 but there is a lot happening there, and we'll continue well, to Well, you know it. what? Right, right now, it, it's uh, there are tons of other issues, and we can go talk about some things in Central Africa that are just fascinating. But the biggest issue, stability issue, and peace issue on the planet right now is uh, China and East Asia. And also, uh, it's it, it, it and it's a complicated, very complicated issue. Yep. All right, we'll see you, gentlemen, next time. Okay, Bye. take care. Bye.